Hey guys, on this episode, we go over the state of the Giants. We look at some offseason moves, how those have played out, what's going on now, and the future outlook of the team. Uh, apologies in advance, there's a couple quick background appearances from Chris's dog, uh, so we tried to take those out as much as we could. It's still a little bit in the background, but uh, it shouldn't take up too much, so I hope that doesn't really distract you from this episode, so let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue View podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined along by Chris Flum, and we are coming with a bonus episode this week that, I don't know, might not feel like too much of a bonus as we get into it, because uh, we're going to be talking about the state of the Giants. This is a team that is 1-5 right now. There is not a lot going right. We're going to kind of talk about how we got here, what the current prospects look like, and and where they go from here. This is uh, this is going to be a uh, quite an episode. So uh, how are you feeling about this, Chris? State of the Giants, um, confusion. The Giants look and feel like a deeply, deeply confused franchise. They don't know who they are, they don't seem to know where they're going, and they don't seem to have much of a clue about how to get there. How's that for an opening thought? <laughs> All right, getting started on a good note. The plan, and and I think we can get into whatever the plan was, has has not worked to this point, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Before we get into that, let's take a brief detour into some roster news that that came out the giants have been tinkering with like the back half of of the roster really since training camp and a lot of that happened again on tuesday morning a couple players put to ir cody latimer to ir ray ray armstrong to ir grant haley cornerback out of penn state got promoted from the practice squad wide receiver benny fowler formerly of the denver broncos was added and they also promoted linebacker, and I sincerely hope I don't butcher this, Keme Eligwe from the practice squad. Yeah, so there we go. Just a, just a whole bunch of roster moves at the bottom of the roster. Haley is actually a guy I'm pretty excited about. He was someone I liked coming out. He was someone the Giants put a lot of effort into signing as an undrafted free agent. And then he didn't make the initial roster, was then signed to the practice squad. He can play the slot. He's 5'9", but he can play outside. So we'll see. Dante Dion also cut as part of that move. So so Haley will slide in is probably the fourth cornerback. I guess B.W. Webb is still the starter in the slot for now. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, just a lot of roster turnover. And that has been, uh, that's been something we've course. seen a lot since Gettleman really took over. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's something we can kind of talk about here is, is this was kind of a roster we were told, and whether we believed it or not, some of us believed it less than others, uh, that this was a roster that was going to compete, but also it was a roster that was completely getting turned over at the bottom half of it, like almost every day from training camp on. So I'm not quite sure how those two ideas coexist with each other and how they were supposed to, but clearly they have not. Yeah. You know, the the Giants have made so many moves, 
since Dave Gettleman was hired that you know, at each step you could sort of see the I'll say the rationalization for each move in a vacuum in and of itself. But if you take a step back and you look, you, I know myself and more than a few people just about every day of the offseason, what, what is Dave Gettleman doing? What is the plan? And after you ask that a hundred or so times, you kind of have to wonder, is there a plan? That's definitely a fair question. And yeah, you can look at a lot of these moves and have a rationalization for each move individually. But fitting them together, it's just, it, it doesn't really go into any cohesive plan. It's, it sometimes just feels like it's, it's making moves to make moves. But I, I think when we, when we look at this, I think we can go back and to find out where the Giants are right now and why they are where they are. We can go kind of, all the way back to before last December. <laughs> yeah, we we can go back to that, but but maybe we don't need to go that far. If we stick to this season, we can go back to just the process of hiring Gettleman, which well, to which me at was the last time, December, right? To me at the time, even seemed flawed, and I think we can kind of say it was. It was a hiring process that I'm not totally sure was in open process. I mean, they, they hired Ernie Accorsi to be a consultant. He recommended Dave Gettleman, who he's worked with forever. And that's just kind of, you know, how the NFL works. You're friends with somebody, they get hired to help hire for a job. And the, the friends and whoever you're familiar with gets put up to, to the front of the line. And that's kind of how the Gettleman hiring process worked. Yeah, I who else did the Giants interview? They interviewed Lewis Riddick and Kevin Abrams, who was the interim general manager who had basically been with the Giants the third longest behind Gettleman and Jerry Reese. I would agree it was a deeply flawed process because Gettleman, you know, sitting here, we can't say whether or not he was the correct choice because they basically didn't really look at anyone else. They, you know, Gettleman really didn't face any competition. And again, and that's basically where they started. They, I suppose they could say they wanted to get their general manager in first so he could hire his coach and they didn't want to miss out on any of the good coaching candidates, but they didn't hire Pat Shermer well, until I got something the, to tell them about that. <laughs> yeah. Until the, basically until the last minute. Something else that hampered the process is, and probably we're going to talk about this subject way more, was the presence of Eli Manning. I don't think anyone who had replacing Eli as their plan A would have been seriously considered. And I think that's something that probably cut down on the prospects of people they were going to hire as general manager and probably the people who they were going to hire as head coach. Yeah, they John Mara was definitely reacting to the firestorm that came from the I'll say half-baked decision to bench Eli Manning by Ben McAdoo. I'm not saying it was 
entirely a wrong decision, but doing it for Geno Smith, who nobody thought he was going to be an answer going forward. He was going to be a guy the Giants could basically turn the keys of the franchise over to, even as a bridge. But they also never back then gave Davis Webb even the practice reps that they could have even taken a look at him. So it was just a flawed process on based on a flawed premise. And that's a bad way to start the next era of your franchise. Yeah. Everything around that just was not handled the correct way. Moving on from Eli would not have been, you know, the wrong way, but of course I don't think we have to get too far into, you know, whatever McAdoo had decided he was going to do going into that Raiders game and then pulling Manning at the half, whether they were up or not. It was it was just a whole mess. So, you know, that that led to McAdoo and Jerry Reese getting let go. That led to Dave Gettleman and then as as soon as Gettleman came in, he he started reworking this roster into you know what he wanted and I think even as we just look back into into some of the moves he did you know you can see there was there was a flawed process behind really a lot of it and and before we even get into the draft some of the some of the free agency and some of the trades that he made and as we look at this team right now it is a team that is one in five it is clearly a team that is going to need to rebuild do not let anyone tell you this was the plan. No. It, it was not. The Giants did not take the route they did and draft Barkley second overall so they would be bad enough to take a quarterback again this year. That was not the plan. This was supposed to be, supposed to, I'll put that in quotes because a lot of people could have told you it was not. But this was supposed to be a roster that was going to compete, or at least be around 500. Although being 500 probably would have been first case scenario because they would have just been lame duck, just kind of everywhere. So ending up seven and nine or eight and eight is probably the worst case scenario for this team. But this this was supposed to be a team that was going to compete. You don't take a running back second overall if that's not the case. You don't trade for someone like Alec Ogletree, who has a massive cap hit as an inside linebacker. You don't do that if this isn't going to be a team that's, that's going to compete in the near future. And I, I think we can... As, as we look into some of these specific moves, I, I think we can look at this Ogletree trade because I think that was another one of those really flawed process trades. Now, I'm all for trading draft picks for veteran players. I think right now that is the biggest market inefficiency in the NFL. Uh, yeah. Teams have no idea how to value veteran players by draft picks. And typically, you can get a very good player for a pick that you would not have been able to get that same type of player. It happened, look at what the Eagles did with like half their roster, honestly. But right now, Michael Bennett. Michael Bennett is on their team. They traded a fifth round pick for him. That is incredible. But with those type of trades, you want to get the type of player that cannot be replaced. 
and another thing when you just look at this type of roster like inside linebacker and running back are two positions you can get easily replaceable production later in the draft so trading a fourth and a seventh for Ogletree who he's needed his cap number redone because it was going to be 10 million dollars and when you took his his roster bonus and and pushed that back into years that pushed his cap number down this year but it pushes more money into future years and what the Rams did is they have his roster bonus for next season for so for the 2019 season was guaranteed on the third day of the 2018 season so now that's more guaranteed money for Ogletree which is either going to have him be an 11 million dollar cap hit next year which is going to be the third highest among inside linebackers or the Giants have to restructure his contract again which pushes more money now into 2020 which will keep Ogletree on the roster for three years and that's just paying a lot of money for a position that does not need to be paid that much money and I think that's when you look at a lot of the moves that's that's what has happened for this roster too yeah well it and the Giants made the conscious decision to go with the old school option in Dave Gettleman and the old school is just it doesn't have much regard for efficiency you know we have that picture of him miming a stats nerd while he mocks analytics yeah while he mocks analytics and it's that's something i took personal offense to (laughs) yes (laughs) um you much more than i i absolutely recognize it i as a viable valuable tool i just have never gotten along well with statistics going back to grade school math class Right. Um, but yeah, that was that was in his press conference after the draft, talking about taking a running back second overall and the positional value that comes with it. And he says he doesn't consider positional value, took the best player. And I, I guess we can now go into that draft. When, when we look at Barkley, man, very good player. No one... No one who was against the pick, again, I've, I've said this on the podcast many times already, no one who wait, was against wait. Barkley second overall was against Barkley, like, personally. No one was saying Well, Barkley there were a was... couple. There, yeah, were, there were a couple who, di- who didn't believe that, as a runner, he was good enough to justify being above, like, Sony Michelle or the runner I... out of LSU, whose name momentarily has slipped my mind. Sure, uh, Darius Geis. Um, Darius sure. Geis. I, I don't know who those people are, but they were wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, yeah, so, I mean, you, you can look at the boom and bust thing and, and maybe not like that, but his ability as a receiver, like, he is a good player. But having a great player at running back is just not how you build a good team. Not uh, in the and, 21st century. And again, we can, we can look at this and... And I think we can talk about whether they should have taken a quarterback and you know, maybe we can get into that. But taking a quarterback was not the only option. 
trading back was also an option. And that probably would have been the preferable option, especially if they were saying we are going to go with Eli Manning in this season. Fine, if that was what was going to be decided on from ownership on down, fine, then you could have traded back and you could get more picks. You could have gotten more picks in 2018, more picks in 2019, and built a roster that since you have already basically admitted does not have a lot of depth just by the amount you are turning this roster over. Um, so more picks in 2018, more picks in 2019 would have set this team up better for the future than arguably even a quarterback at number two would have. But Gettleman did not even apparently Consider entertain it. that option. Yeah, and the Jets came out and said after the draft that they never even bothered calling the Giants about the second overall pick because they knew it really wasn't for sale. That's insane. That is that is a flawed it's, process, and that's not even flawed process. That is that is a detrimental process. How how is, you couldn't have even considered trading back to get more value from that pick to help the team it, more in the long run. That's insane. Yeah. It's still insane to me. It's another one of those efficiency things. I believe when it comes to finding value, there have been studies on this. I was actually reading into it as I wrote my piece yesterday about taking advantage of the NFL's trade inefficiency at the trade deadline, trading you know mid or late round picks for established veterans, young veterans who still have upside, who are still on their rookie contracts, who could help the team for years to come, but the teams they have now don't really know how to use them or have know how to value them. Trading back is generally the most efficient way to, as long as you make smart picks with the picks you acquire and don't make stupid trades, it's basically the most efficient way to run a draft. You get a much better chance of finding a starter if you have two picks that are only slightly less likely to land a starter than your one high pick. Yeah, you just you get more chances to take those picks. Now, I'm not totally sold on, you know, the Cleveland idea of continually just trading back and trading back. Um, but well, no. but when you're doing that in, in a single a draft pick. or two drafts, like that's fine. Every draft pick is a lottery ticket and your best chances come with more picks with a at least similar chance of paying off. Right, and it's it's something that guys of Gettleman's era do not completely understand. They they look at a player, they fall in love with the player, and go, no, this is the guy we want. And that's exactly what they did with Barkley. There was no talking Gettleman and the Giants out of the Barkley pick at number two. And again, he's a very good player for the long term of the Giants. And now, especially since we see this is not a good team, this is a team that is going to have to rebuild. By the time you do that, Barkley, who is already one of the top paid running backs in the league, is now going to be going into his second contract where he's going to make even more money. And if you're talking about inflated cap hits now that are holding the Giants back, wait till they have to face whether they're going to pay their running back 14 or $15 million a year. That's not going to help either. 
hell, five years down the line, they could be considering having to pay him 17 or $18 million a year. I was going a little conservative on that, but yeah, by as the cap hits, if, as the if cap he starts, starts resetting, to rise in future years, yeah. If he resets the record books like it looks like he is on pace to be doing, he could have an effect on his position similar to what Odell Beckham had on the wide receiver position. That's something we're going to have to consider to be a potential reality eventually. Yeah, and you see guys like Gurley, he just got his big contract, four years, $57.5 million, and $45 million in guarantees. That's He's going to have a $17.25 million cap hit in 2020, and that goes down to 132 in 2021 and 142 in 2022. But those are the type of numbers you're going to be looking at for a second Barkley contract. And man, that's just going to be a lot of cap space for a running back. And again, he can be really good, but if the other pieces aren't in place on the offense, then then that's just not going to work. Yeah. Now, if they could get the other pieces in place, if they could have a, an off season where they get on the ball and start hitting even just singles and doubles to mix metaphors, because apparently that's what we do talking about sports. And they could build an environment where a young quarterback on a rookie deal could play like a franchise player and have a very good environment for that, which could let them pay Barkley eventually. But that's an awful tight rope to walk, especially for a team that hasn't shown that level of foresight. Right. That's going to be an incredibly tight rope to walk. So when you look at what the Giants are right now, one in five, we'll get football outsiders has them with a 10.9% chance at the top pick, which is the fourth highest. Uh, that's behind Arizona, Oakland, and San Francisco. They have a 47.7% chance at a top five pick, and that's the fifth highest. Really, they're not even the favorites for like the top pick if they were going to go in for a quarterback there. So now you're looking at Even if these teams in front of them aren't going to take quarterbacks, and and if you look at the teams who are in front of them, Arizona just took one. Who knows what Oakland is going to do? John Gruden might throw a billion dollars at Peyton Manning to come back and play for him. It fits his age demographic that he's looking for. (laughs) Um, But San Francisco has Garoppa. Buffalo just traded up for Josh Allen. Um, you know, whether that was a good decision or not, we don't have to get into that. But, you know, they have their quarterback. Indianapolis is right behind them. They have a quarterback, Cleveland. But there's teams that could still trade up. The Giants are yes. not guaranteed to get their quarterback where they're drafting. And if that's the case, now you have to trade up for a quarterback. So you're using more draft resources to get this quarterback than you would have if you had just you know, maybe taking a guy at two, or if you had traded back last year, you now would have that ammunition to use to trade up. You can also use that. And again, the the Giants are without a third round pick in this draft. And I will say I am okay with that. I was completely pro taking Sam Beal in the supplemental draft. Yes. He's probably someone whose talent you were not getting with that third round pick in the normal draft. So I'm fine with that. But you have to take that into account if that's something they have to eventually trade up for. You now don't have that third round pick as ammunition. So the Giants are not guaranteed to come away 
with a quarterback this year either. No, and they could say they want to use next year to look at Kyle Lawletta, assuming they fold tent on Eli Manning and either he retires at the end of the year or they cut him and he retires at the end of the year or retires in 2019. You know, they could use next year to try and see what Kyle Lawletta has. You know, they're very high on him and he isn't a terrible fit for what Pat Shermer wants to do on offense. You know, he's kind of a hot rotted version of Case Keenum, but they could do that and kick that can a little bit further down the road again and maybe get into the 2020 draft, which could have, who knows, Justin Herbert might stay in college. And then you could also have Tua at Alabama or Jake Fromm at Georgia. You know, two guys I've had my eye on since last year. You know, I, I really like them. And you also never quite know who is going to uh, emerge People weren't talking about Carson Wentz two years before he was the second pick in his draft. It's going to be interesting how they go about this quarterback decision because if they do go with Lawletta and and they give him a chance to play this year and they go into next year with him, and if he's not good... I don't think Gettleman and Shermer get a chance to pick the next quarterback. No, that might actually force the Giants to do what they probably should have done when they fired Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo, and that is well and truly clean house and set the franchise on a new course instead of retreating back to, you know, the glory days of yore. There's... A lot of decisions that are going to be made in this offseason, and they all go back to to what you know, really happened this past offseason, because that set everything up. The kind of playing around with trying to get younger and set this team up for the future while also trying to contend. And again, do not let anyone tell you this team was not trying to contend this year, because they were. This and- was not the plan. No. Some of us some of us and I will say I was one of them saw this coming. This was not a good team. But this was not the plan. And so we're really going to have to look at what this team is going to be going forward. Because there are there are big contracts going forward. Nate Nate Solder going forward. They've got uh uh Patrick Omame going forward. They're they're locked in based on their contract. Got Eli Manning. And then they have to figure out what to do with uh, Landon Collins. And Sterling Shepard will be up right after him. Right. So I was playing around a lot with, with some of the cap numbers. And if the Giants really, like, really wanted to strip down, you could take almost every big contract off these books. But but you're left with with not a great roster. So you could have... A starting lineup of, I'll start with the offense, Kyle Walletta, Saquon Barkley, Nate Solder, Will Hernandez, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Odell Beckham, TBD at center, right guard, and right tackle, TBD at third wide receiver. And on the defense, you can have BJ Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, RJ McIntosh, I 
kept Kareem Martin, you got BJ Goodson, Lorenzo Carter, Eli Apple, Grant Haley, Sam Beal, Landon Collins, and TBD at free safety. And that gives you about $67.6 million in cap space to work with. So that's moving on from Eli Manning, moving on from Olivier Vernon, moving on from Janoris Jenkins, moving on from Damon Harrison, moving on from Alec Ogletree, moving on from Patrick Omame. That's a that lot of a, cutting. And um, that is a ton of holes. Now, granted, yes. some some of them are holes that need to be filled, just period. I am looking at center and right guard right now and right tackle. Right. Well, and But when you look at, and I mean, this is the case for every year, when you look at you know free agency for offensive linemen, it's, it's not a great year to be doing that. Yeah, it's never a great year. And yeah, that's how you come away with, you know, paying Nate Solder what he got paid. You're again, if you're looking at the offensive line going forward, it's you know, you're gonna be paying top of the market prices for players who aren't exactly top of the market. You can look at you know Bobby or even close to it. Yeah, you can look at Bobby Massey from Chicago, but you know, if you're he's already actually one of the higher paid offensive linemen if he hits free agency you're paying him even more so it's it's a tough place for this roster to be in and it it was clear this was going to take a while to redo and rework but i think they said but that's not how the giants approached it that's what they're saying now but that was that's just not what they were saying when this was happening no when it was happening, and again, this is where one of the first points we made that, you know, what is the plan? You know, every every move has could be rationalized in a vacuum, but when Dave Gettleman came in like a wrecking ball and just completely blew up the roster while saying we're going to compete this year, which is, um, say, contradictory actions and statements – they threw out the baby with the bathwater. They let players go who would have been useful and not terribly expensive. Right now we have John Greco at starting center. They had Brett Jones, who was good enough that they could let Weston Richburg leave. And then they traded him away because they signed Patrick Omame at three times the cost of DJ Fluker. And yet he isn't playing nearly as well as Fluker was. This And this is where I you really have to wonder, was there a plan? Or were they just making moves and spending money to be seen making moves and spending money? To say, hey, we're doing something. They made a lot of moves in the offseason. And there were just, you know, other moves that probably could have been cheaper and, and set them up for more success. You look at, you know, just coming in with, with Cody Latimer as the number three wide receiver, he was making two point five million dollars this year. They were, you know, there were other options where you could have been better at outside receiver. Someone like Cameron Meredith, who was a restricted free agent with Chicago, he was coming off a knee injury, but pretty much the teams had figured he was going to be healthy. He only went for two point seven million dollars this year. He's on a on a two year deal. But I I doubt this team even looked at restricted free agency as as no. a way to 
to get players because teams usually don't. Restricted free agency is another high market inefficiency where you uh, the, could get players. You know, the back a couple of years, the Giants could have gotten Tony Jefferson for not much. He was on a restricted free agent contract, but with an original round tender and as a former undrafted free agent that basically just gave Arizona the right of first refusal. Right. And then that year he balled out. You know, all the signs were there that he was ready to break out. And then he did. Right. And that was Arizona the same... couldn't afford to pay him. Yeah. That was the same thing with, with Meredith. He was, he got an original round tender as an undrafted free agent. So there was no compensation. The same thing for Willie Sneed in new Orleans. You know, maybe they didn't want to get someone who just played in the slot, but he, you know, he could have been even a cheaper option. There were there were other ways to go around and getting more talent for this roster. I mean, going in and and not signing, you know, it's someone like I'm gonna bring it up again, but Eric Reed in yeah. in the backfield as a free safety right now. Eric Reed making 1.6 million dollars. Curtis Riley's making $630,000. That is a $1 million difference for an upgrade to Eric Reed. Which they aren't even on the same planet as far as what kind of upgrade it is. There's a lot of what ifs we we could do with this team. And, and I'm sure we could probably spend, you know, over an hour doing that. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think when you, when you just... Really, when you do look at what happened with whatever the plan was and what the plan turned into, I, it's just, again, we can just stress, it, it doesn't really seem like there was a cohesive plan going forward. You can take that, so I, I think we've done a kind of scattershot look at, at whatever the offseason plan and what was going in, and then when you see it translate to the field this year, it... And it's been even worse and more jumbled than than the offseason plan that happened is what has actually played out. It's gone almost the way it only could have. Right, but even someone like me who was down on whatever whatever the plan was, a lot of the offseason moves, I at least thought there would be a, some semblance of, of at least an offensive structure that would look okay. Um, but that clearly has not been the case yeah. between yeah. whatever has been going on with the offensive line. We've, you know, we've talked about thereof. that plenty. Whatever's been going on with Eli Manning, we've talked about that plenty. But even just, even the scheme right now, Pat Shermer was not hired to run an offense that looks like whatever the offense currently looks like. I spent like thousands of words in the offseason, trying to like predict and and translate whatever Shermer was doing in Minnesota and how that would carry over to the Giants. And none of those words have come true so far. No, they have, even with the offensive line being what it is, they have the personnel to be one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL, but they're just not schemed to play the way they are built. Look at the game plan against New Orleans Saints or, again, against the Philadelphia Eagles. Two teams with questionable, exploitable secondaries. And I think, all told, Odell Beckham runs six deep routes 
out of almost 20 targets, maybe even more than 20 targets. Saquon Barkley has what? Maybe one target or route run from the boundary as a wide receiver. Everything else is five yards or less run from the backfield. They're constricting themselves on offense. These are topics we've discussed on At almost every, po- every podcast so far is the usage of Beckham, the usage of Barkley. Again, what are you drafting a running back second overall for if you're just going to treat him like every other running back in the league? That's not the point. And that's not who he is. You draft him because he is different. He is more. He is a potentially elite wide receiver as well as a an elite running back. Right. So so picking him now, we can we went back, said that's probably wasn't the best thing for the Giants to do for their long term team building. But he's on the team now, so that pick is now uh it's now a sunk that cost. It's history. So it's yeah. He's on the team. That now use him like he's supposed to be used. He took that screen against Philly for, for fifty five yards. Use him on more screens. Use him on more actual routes even a bigger part of a problem is they have these players that they brought in and they don't even like know how to use them and that has is what has really disappointed me in pat Shermer, the head coach yeah i want to like him you know i see the concepts in his play calling and i want to like it I like how, especially earlier in the year, he was using vertical routes to clear out and create passing windows, which was a big part of the reason why Eli Manning was the second most accurate quarterback in the league. And then they just kind of they've just kind of gone away. He was brought in supposedly as the or having an almost Belichick like flexibility. You know, he was raised up under Andy Reid and then added to that some of Chip Kelly's philosophies and schemes, concepts, and then added to that what he learned underneath North Turner. But what we're seeing now is just none of that. Really, we're not seeing that kind of flexibility and way to scheme around his talent and scheme around his problems. Instead, we keep seeing them go back into that shell and just... There's no other way I can put it, just constricting themselves. They're, in a lot of ways, doing the defense's job for them. Yeah, I think that's an excellent way to put it. They they, they go back into a shell instead of figuring out how to attack. And even with the offensive line, with however much the quarterback maybe limits what you can do, there, there are ways around all of that. And and the Giants just aren't coming back. Again, I've said the first the first sign of something going wrong for the offense. Like that's it. It's it's off the rails and and it's not coming back. And it's 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 insane to watch right now. It really is, and it seems almost like on a biweekly basis they will have one of these just terrible games where they are terrified of making a mistake, of putting the football at risk, of extending themselves to attack the defense. And they always co- they seem to come after games where they do just that and it is successful. 
you know, they had a really nice game against the Houston Texans where we both said, this is what this offense was supposed to look like. Finally, it's clicked. They can build on this and live up to the promise that we all saw. And then what do they do against the Saints? They crawl back into their shells like a hermit crab. Then the next week against the Carolina Panthers, they come out and I think Eli throws short, or four short passes all game. You know, he's averaging the only game this season where he's actually throwing past the sticks. And it works. For the first time since 2015, they break 30 points. They should have won that game. And along the way, Eli throws a couple interceptions. And what do we see on a short week? Four or five days later, they're back in their shell looking worse than ever. It's a mess all the way around. I don't I don't think there's one part of this franchise right now that is not in some type of mess in in some way. And that's that's not a great place to uh, to be in right now. Yeah. In his Valentine views, Ed laid the mess at the feet of John Mara and Steve Tisch. And I would say mostly on it should mostly be on John Mara's feet because he's the of the two. He is the one who is much more involved in the big de- in the day to day decisions, and the Tish family is a, much more in the background. Not to say they don't make decisions because they're both involved in all of the big ones, but the Giants are mostly known as the Mara family business. I can't say that that's a wrong way to do it. It's something a mess like this starts at the top. Yes, it does. And especially when, uh, so as we're recording this, John Mara has appeared at the NFL owners meetings in New York. <laughs> and let me read the exact quote. I wish he create the headlines by his play on the field as opposed to what he says and what he does off the field. I think he needs to do a little more playing and a little less talking. That is John Mara on Odell Beckham. I don't know what the point of that is. John Maris saying that really adds nothing but like a little more dysfunction to the whole thing. And I can think of this Bill Barnwell tweet uh, from the other day who brought up Bill James, who's kind of the the father of sabermetrics in baseball. And Barnwell's tweet was one of the smartest things Bill James ever noted was how bad teams blame their problems on their best players. I mean, that's that's where we are at the Giants and Odell Beckham right now. I don't care what you think of Odell Beckham and what he's doing off the field. He's not in like the top 20 of their problems right now. No, I didn't particularly care about what he said when he said it on ESPN. Maybe his delivery could have been a little bit better, but ultimately he was a not wrong and B it needed to be said and see, he wasn't shouting at it, shouting it from the rooftops. You know, he he wasn't going on a crazy rant calling into talk radio. He was very calmly saying the things we all know to be true. But I suppose football players are meant to be seen and not heard, even if they are right. 
even if they are right. And man, I, the thing that really bothers me about that Mara quote is like, is him saying he needs to start playing. And Beckham's doing what he can, man. He's, yeah, yeah. He's open. He's, teams are teams are scheming against him. The Eagles they ran like quarter quarter half, and they had a safety just on Beckham over the top the whole time. And you know Beckham did what he could against that, and having his all of his routes like within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And when you're not being helped out by the routes being schemed to beat certain coverages i mean there's only so much he can do beckham and beckham is is doing what he can and we saw him roast jalen ramsey in week one and he could have had 200 yards all by his lonesome if they looked to him more right and when we look at you know expected points right now and i'm gonna just dive into this again Expected points added, which when it takes kind of the history of play-by-play and takes what a team usually gains from a certain part of the field, however much a player adds to that, that's their expected points added. Beckham right now on 73 pass plays, 16 expected points added, a win probability added of 45.9. That's more than Saquon Barkley on receptions, which is 14.1 expected points added. It's more than Saquon Barkley on runs, which is negative 0.44 expected points <laughs> added total. When you throw to Odell Beckham, good things happen. You need to throw to Odell Beckham a little more. You need to throw to him better. And I, that's that's part of the problem is whatever this offensive scheme is, whatever's going on on this offense, it's not using the players in the right way. And that's something they really need to figure out for this season going forward because Next if not season. then then I, I don't know what you can be optimistic about when you change the players when the players being used right now aren't being used in the correct way yeah and even if they get a new quarterback or a new offensive line if they keep not using their best skill position players then it's just going to keep looking like this just with different names on the backs of the jerseys and you know different people to be angry at man if you if you were hoping we were going to talk through uh, this entire process and come out with a positive outlook of where the giants are right now i am sorry to disappoint you because uh, that has not been the case i feel like almost talking through this i am less getting more depressed than i was yeah <laughs> Um, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I was not someone who was optimistic going into this season. I think I remember what we did preseason over-unders at Big Blue View. I'm pretty sure there were four or five of us who did that and put the over-under at six and a half. I think I was the only one who said this team's going to go under. So I, I will say I, I was not one of the optimistic people going into this season, but even this has been so far below my expectations as much as this season might be kind of off the rails and depressing and underwhelming, I really like what is depressing and questionable is is the possible future outlook of this team. I, I just, I don't know if I trust the structure that's in place going forward to be what is able to, to turn around this franchise. At, at least in the near term. When Dave Gettleman was hired... It was say, you know, trust Gettleman. You know, he, 
the Panthers were in the Super Bowl two years ago. Well, look at the seasons around that year. They were incredibly inconsistent and would bounce back and forth between having a pretty good winning season and a not great losing season. And that team was mostly Marty Herney's. Yeah, again, remember, Gettleman came in and Cam Newton was already in place at quarterback. Um, Luke Keekley was already in place. Uh, the running backs were you know, Jonathan Stewart, and I believe Mike Tolbert was all, was already in place. Ryan Cleo was already in place at center. Greg Olson was already in place at tight end. And he just added pieces to that roster. Right, and, and when you look at what this team is going to need to do at quarterback going forward, Kyle Lalletta was the first quarterback Dave Gettleman ever drafted. Lalletta was Gettleman's first quarterback. And again, Dave Gettleman has never traded down in a draft. And those are just... I don't, I, I don't know how you trust that going forward. I, I, I don't know how that was trusted to begin with, if, if I'm being honest. <laughs> but I'm, I'm not sure how you, how you can see what has gone on right now and, and trust everything for the future. And especially the way Dave Gettleman has tried to build this team right now, that's with his hog mollies and through the running game, is just... Uh, it's, can we just eliminate that word from our vocabulary? Yeah, we can, but but it's, it's a way he's tried to build a team in an era where passing is at its highest, it's most efficient, and really its easiest in the history of the league and this is now a team that's trying to build through through ground and pound and and be a run first team it's insane and and because of how bad they've been they've been one of the most pass heavy teams but again that wasn't the plan either and they're doing it in an era when the offensive linemen coming out of college just they're trained to play a different game than what dave gettleman wants them to do they very few schools even use three-point stances for their offensive linemen you know they're almost exclusively you know rpo based uh spread option spread the defense out and linemen only have to pass protect for two seconds and you know, the, if you're going to build a ground and pound team, you need players that are just really rare. If you say rare, you probably do have that with Barkley, but like, how rare? And is rare so much better than than everything else? Eventually, you have to bow to reality. You have to recognize reality for what it is, and the game of football is changing you know the rules favor offense over defense and you know it frustrates the hell out of me because i love defensive football but you know the rules some of them motivated by player safety others motivated by you know just improving scoring and you know making the game more enjoyable and putting up for people who like offensive football and putting up you know almost basketball numbers you know, the game is becoming much more pass-oriented. And you have to recognize that. Because otherwise, reality is going to slap you upside the face. 
<laughs> passing one is more efficient than running the ball. That has been the case for just about ever. It's the advent so of the much, pass. so much more the case now. Passing is at its highest, and you just have a front office right now that doesn't care. And and I and think that's they, that's one of the most concerning parts of this is yeah, especially is since when they have some at, of the best passing weapons around. Yeah, when you're just looking at what the league looks like right now, and you have a, a team that's trying to build in spite of that and and not going into it, and you know maybe maybe that changes if they get a quarterback in this draft. But again, you know, who knows if that's going to happen? The draft is still still a while away. So we still have a lot of time before that part of the rebuilding process is really front and center. And right now, there's just there's not a lot to to look forward to and there's there's not a lot that is going right for this team in a year where they were they were expected to be better than they were. Now, and again, again, this was just, this was not the plan. And, and don't, don't let anyone try to trick you into believing that this, this was what they had in mind, that this team was going to be mm-hmm. set up with a high draft pick that could potentially give them a quarterback. That no, was not nobody what plans this plan for this. was. That, that wasn't it. This wasn't some Sashi Brown, Cleveland Browns, like three-year tank. That, that was not the case. This team is bad and set up to get possibly get a quarterback in spite of itself. And, and <laughs> that it's what it was. That was not the plan. Long-term prediction, I'll put it out now just before we wrap up. By the end of the 2019 draft, Nick Bosa and David Edwards, right tackle Wisconsin, will be Giants in after their first two picks. All right, so uh, I guess that would mean <laughs> Kyle Loretta is the starting quarterback. The The details of that, I'm sure we will get into as this season goes on. Uh, this was just kind of a look at, at what this team is right now and how it got here and, and where it might go, which you know we honestly have no idea. So with that, on that positive note, yeah. we'll, we'll end there. Thank you guys for listening. Again, you can subscribe anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. If you can, please rate and review. Uh, that helps us out a lot and, and would be very kind of you. We'll be back probably later in the week, probably around Friday, to, to preview the Monday night football game. This team is on primetime again in Atlanta. So we'll be back later in the week to preview that game. Thank you guys for hanging out and we'll talk to you again soon.
My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games i mean there's also some actual football discussion like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things or the ncaa saying really stupid things yeah there's lots of stupid things in this big dumb beautiful sport sometimes we talk about football games allegedly if you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken come find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one the shutdown forecast. It's not Voltron.